0: Welcome to Ciao Bella, hosted by me, Erica Firpo, travel journalist based in Rome. Each episode of Ciao Bella, I sit down with Italy's creators, contemporary artists and artisans, designers, culinary experts, heritage brands, and innovative estites, and more who are defining and redefining 21st century Italy. Pull up a chair and join in.
1: Hi, and welcome back to Ciao, Bella. Today I'm with Danielle Oteri, a writer, art historian, and co-founder of Feast on History. And I'm so happy I said that. Hey, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Erica. How you doing? Great. It's great to have you on Ciao, Bella.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
1: I've been following you on Twitter, kind of stalking you for some time. I love how you talk about food and art. Um, And I thought it would be great for you to tell people. I I, I gave the short bio. I would love for you to tell people a little bit more about who you are.
2: Well, I am an Italian-American based primarily in New York, but back and forth to Italy quite a bit. And uh, my specialty as an art historian and my interest is at specialist of the Renaissance in Southern Italy, specifically in Naples. And uh, our tours, our food and wine tours are primarily based in the South. And that's something I'm very passionate about as most tourism still seems to focus on Florence, Venice, and Rome. Um, And I'm also the co-founder of Arthur Avenue Food Tours, which is a food tour company based in Little Italy in the Bronx, which I will strongly make the case for being the real Little Italy in New York. Um, Mulberry Street is the famous one in New York City in Manhattan, and it is mostly for the tourists now, whereas Arthur Avenue is still filled with historic Italian food shops, and that's where my family got their start when they first came to the United States. My family opened a butcher shop there in 1918, and though we don't own it anymore, the shop is still very much there and thriving.
1: You know, I think as I told you when when I reached out to you, for me it, there was a, a per, there was a very personal reason why I mean I I love what you do with the chilento I love what you do with feast on history but when I saw Arthur Avenue I was like oh my goodness because when my nonno and nonna came to America in they came in the in the early I think it's the early 50s uh, they lived in the Bronx and my nonna was a doctor and he had his office in the Bronx and they lived in the Bronx and everything was the Bronx. And then later on, like a lot of Italian families, they moved out of the Bronx, but he still his office there. And he like any Italian food that he got was always from the Bronx. And so for me, my favorite thing on earth is mozzarella fumigata from Arthur Avenue.
2: Yeah. And I always call it Regione Bronx because it is its own distinct place at this point, you know, sort of almost a hundred years later, it's still going strong. Uh, but it has its own food traditions, and it's fun to see that there are a lot of Italian tourists that come visit there. You know, when back back in the old days of a year ago, there would be a tour bus that would reliably pull up every day at eleven o'clock, full of tourists from Italy, and then they would walk around and very often comment that there were foods there that they hadn't seen since their grandparents had passed away, or, or things that were you know very antique to them, and that they were nostalgic uh, because they had sort of been preserved on Arthur Avenue.
1: Do you think they were were they from a specific region? or do you think they're from they're usually from a specific region like no
2: no they're from all over they it was just it's sort of a a hop on hop off tour bus of new york city with an italian guide and and they go from like the brooklyn bridge to statue of liberty to arthur avenue in the bronx and that's where they all stop and go and say oh finally i can get some decent bread (laughs) and walk around with like a loaf of bread basically in their hands Yeah, we we see people from all over Italy on those tours. And it's funny, though, because, you know, knowing Italy, my husband and I will sort of suss people out. And, yeah, we'll hear the different accents and find out where people are from. But bread is the great unifier of Italy, which if Italians think their regional differences are vast, and they are, it all comes together with finding good bread.
1: (laughs) You know, something you said, I I wanted to ask you where your family is from in Italy, and I'm going to guess they're from Campania.
2: Yeah, three grandparents from Campania, one Calabrese grandfather. So Campania, the Campania roots are pretty strong.
1: And you said that you're studying the Renaissance of Naples or Southern Italy, which is so interesting because I think that when we think of Renaissance, we're so focused on Florence. We're never really thinking, I mean, and, you know, we dabble in Rome, <laughs> but we're not, we're not really mm-hmm. going south.
2: Yeah, and that's really why I decided to focus on that. I was actually doing my first year of graduate study in Florence, and of course I loved it. I mean, what's not to love? And it wasn't though until I took a trip to Naples and I went there you know, during a break from school and my intention was really to go mostly to Pompeii. And as soon as I arrived there, I went, oh, okay, now I feel at home in Italy. Okay, I'm not Florentine, obviously my roots are from here. And everything started to really click in place. I sort of had like, so many personal revelations and I really fell in love with it. And I saw one of the first things I saw was the Castel Nuovo or what's called the Maschio angioino in Naples. It's this huge medieval castle. And I thought, how is, how do I not know about this? I'm a graduate student of, you know, Renaissance art history. How do I, how have I never even seen this before? And then I started to delve into it and, One of the primary reasons, I mean, there's a couple of reasons why we don't know about the the Renaissance in the South. And the first one is, is during World War II, when the Germans were retreating from the Allied forces, they actually dropped a bomb on the state archives of Naples, which at that time was the largest archive of medieval documents in Europe. And so physically, the history was obliterated. And that makes it really difficult for PhD students to do research and there's always sort of been this English-speaking network in Florence because of the Brits, and it's a really great place to go to graduate school and study and have an abundance of documents and drink a cappuccino and live a beautiful life. Naples has always been a more difficult place to do that. So there's a lot of reasons that have more to do with modern life than with historical life as to why we know Florence so well. And that's why I decided to take on Naples as my personal area of study.
1: And now you've kind of branched out just from studying, now you're you're showing everybody Naples and, and more than Naples. I mean, when we talked earlier, earlier when we were just getting to know each other, you mentioned that there's so much focus on Cilento. Do you want to tell everybody, in fact, if you could, if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you to paint the picture of where we are. <laughs> where we are yeah. in Italy.
2: So Chilento is a part of the region of Campania, and it's just a little bit south of the Amalfi Coast, which everybody knows. So if you're traveling to Cilento, if you're taking the train from Rome, if you're taking the Freccia Rosa, you would go to Salerno. Um, or you would drive about an hour and a half south of Naples. And it's along the coast. It's a very similar coastline to the Amalfi Coast, except it's not nearly as built up. It's all part of a national park. So no cruise ships, uh, very few big tourist buses. And it's primarily known for, for two, the two things that make it the most famous. One are the temples at Pestum, which are the actually the largest Greek temples that, in, that remain in the world. They're not in Greece. They're in Italy, and southern Italy was Greece in the ancient world. And the other thing it's very famous for is buffalo mozzarella. Buffalo mozzarella specifically from, well, all of the producers there are excellent, but there's one in particular that's become quite famous, which is called Tenuta Vanulo. And frequently, you'll see that in English-speaking media, and people are surprised. Is, is that the way... I, I saw the... I'm
1: sorry, go ahead. But so when my, whenever my husband goes to him to, to Pi- in Pompeii, he usually... There's one stop that they always make for mozzarella, um, and I believe he told me... He's like, it's, it's the one where the queen gets her mozzarella.
2: Yeah, most likely. It's most famous because the buffaloes are massaged and they play Mozart for them in their pens.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah. and, and And they're just also as a facility really set up for tourism. They actually give tours of the facility. So it's much more hospitable and they have a great little restaurant and a tasting room. So... Frequently, there was actually a uh, segment on CBS Sunday Morning about Italy about a year ago, and they were almost entirely in Tuscany, and then they said, a little off the beaten path, and they went to Vanulo. I think for people who watch that show, they were probably confused that they didn't say, this farm is eight hours away from Florence. <laughs> but they did, a, um, they, did
1: a, they did a day trip? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> just neglected to mention. They just made it sound as like though
1: they were just, just An, a, an afternoon jaunt, right?
2: Yeah. But that's what Cilento is most famous for, but... It's also the home of the Mediterranean diet. It's where the physician, the physiologist actually, who first studied and identified and sort of codified the Mediterranean diet was living. He was on the Chilento coast looking around at the incredible long-lived people that surrounded him and how healthy they were well into their 80s and 90s. And that's what inspired the first Mediterranean diet study. So that's something also that people in Cilento are very proud of. And it really is the best place in Italy, I think, to eat organic food. Of course, every region of Italy has amazing food. But in Cilento, when you eat vegetables, it's like seeing light for the first time. I mean, you, you decide, oh yeah, I could be a vegetarian if I lived here.
1: Well, let's, let's talk <laughs> a little bit about this. And by the way, I wanted to say something that I forgot to tell you. My, my daughter wanted me to tell you. She said also Wonder Woman is from Chilento. Because when That's Patty Jenkins, that on
2: the Yes. They filmed Wonder Woman, the first movie, well, the one with, with Gal Gadot on the beach at Palinuro.
1: That's what, that's what my daughter told me, my 12-year-old. She's yeah. like, oh, no, Wonder Woman's from Chilento. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Let's that's talk a little bit true. about gastro-tourism and food and what, what to expect, what to look for.
2: It's, uh, the Chilenzo is, of course, vegetables and fish because it's on the coast and just very, very rustic, simple food, simple handmade pastas and things that are, you know, so frequently whenever I'm in Chilenzo, I always remember in particular this one artichoke heart that my cousin served. It was just a tiny little artichoke heart and a little puddle of olive oil sitting on a plate. I kept asking him what else he had done to this thing and he was looking at me like, Danielle it's just an artichoke heart Uh, so it's simplicity it's not a place where you have very elaborate preparations like you do say in Bologna you know very elaborate stuffed pastas and a tradition that comes more from chefs this is a tradition that really comes from casalinghe, you know housewives as as it translates to English and people are immensely proud of how clean the food is Chilento is not so far away from a part of Campania that has a lot of pollution. Uh, Nearby is sort of in the Caserta region, and that's a result of of corruption, and and things are getting better there. But they will especially demonstrate their pride for the fact that their land is untainted, and everybody adheres to that. It's, It's something that everybody agrees on. There's also a lot of natural energy in the region. You'll pass a lot of windmills as you're driving. The buffalo farms... Many of them are, are changing over to biodiesel, so the um, <laughs> the, uh, the buffalo farts, just to be plain about it, actually is a form now of fuel, and again, another big point of pride that many of the farms are switching over to operate entirely on biofuels. So for those who are interested in you know, sort of green energy and the future of energy, Chilento, the sleepy region, which seems like it's primarily focused on farming, is really at the forefront of that in Italy.
1: Tell me a little bit about what you do with, with Feast, on Italy, Feast on History in the Cilento. What kind, of, what kind of itineraries are you organizing?
2: Our itineraries really seek to let people feel as though they're living in this place for about a week. Uh, we pick up our guests in Naples and... Usually, I mean, 99% of the time people know nothing about Cholento. One of the things that entices them to join a tour is that we always include one day on the Amalfi Coast, which is just 30 minutes away. That's a point of orientation. Um, But we are based for the entire week at the country inn that's owned by my Italian cousins called Borgo La Pietraia. It's a very beautiful property that's overlooking both the Cholento Coast and the Amalfi Coast. So... It's in the in a town called Capacho, which is where my grandmother grew up.
0: Capacho, I like that name.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And that is where the buffalo farm is. It's in Capacho. And you're overlooking the Chirhinian Sea. If you look to your right, you're looking at the Amalfi Coast and the Gulf of Salerno. You can see Capri in the distance. And then you look to the left and you see the Chilento Coast. So the view is absolutely spectacular. And we kind of take a slow pace. Somebody recently described uh, our tours as kind of a staycation. And we kind of mix it up. You know, some days we're, we stay a little closer to home base. The, the temples at Pestum are 10 minutes down the hill. Um, we do a cooking class. Yeah, it's, it's tremendous. And my grandmother always talked about when she was a little girl how they would go down to the plains where the temples are. And at that time this is in the, like the 1920s and the 1930s they didn't stay down there too long because the mosquitoes were so intense but they used to like make puzzle games with the like fragments of vases that they found in the ground which is as an art historian just mind blowing <laughs> and um, and then we also explore the Tolento coast we usually have a day of swimming on the beaches there depending on what time of year the tours are you have the Bandiera blue water incredibly clean beaches. We do spend one day on the Amalfi Coast. We go by boat from Salerno. Um, We do a zero kilometer lunch at a farm that's right nearby, which is my personal favorite day where you're hanging out with the animals and cute little farm dogs are underneath your table as you're eating all these beautiful vegetables that have just been picked and are being prepared fresh. And we also do some fine dining as well. There's a really amazing place in the Chilento National Park called Santo Miele, which focuses on the figs of the Chilento, this rare white fig. It's a specific product famous in Chilento. And they just take a fig and they elevate it like it's a piece of jewelry. And you're in this small town in the middle of a national park, and then you walk inside and imagine Cartier sold figs. That's what this place is like. And then we have a very, very fancy lunch. And people are really just sort of blown away by that. But Inevitably, everyone's fam- favorite activities become just walking around the small towns, walking around in old Capaccio, um, seeing an Italy that I think we all hold in our hearts and minds, but one that's not necessarily always the reality anymore. But in Chilento, it kind
1: of is. Well, I think that in my experience, I'd say that the further south you go, um, you get a little bit closer to that that postcard of yesteryear Italy that, that, some people, that some people tend to think about when they think of Italy. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, because you, you briefly mentioned the cooking classes that you do at, at your family's agriturismo. So I, wanted, I would love for you to talk about some of the dishes your, your family's making and that we could find there. Probably my
2: favorite one, and it's so easy to make too, it's called uh, lagane e ceci. And it's a simple, uh, just water and flour pasta. And if you're making it at home, you can actually just any, use any sort of flat pasta, like broken up lasagna sheets or anything that's sort of flat. And then it's made with essentially a puree of chickpeas and rosemary and a little bit of hot pepper, a little pepperoncino. That is a really rustic dish, famous in the area. It's pretty healthy and we make that. People, again, always surprised by the flavors because you're just using really, really good ingredients. Um, Fusili, done by hand, that's pretty common as well. And you do that with a pork ragu. So I think a lot of Americans think that, you know, a red sauce is something that's very difficult to make. And then they learn the great secret that what makes really good red sauce is pork fat. <laughs> just cook a hunk of meat in the, in the tomato puree. And that's what makes really delicious sauce. So that's always a favorite dish as well. And the torta caprese, which is not pasta, of course, it's just a cake, a simple chocolate and almond flour cake. I actually had that oh, this morning. Oh, yeah, it's good breakfast food, yeah. <laughs>
1: at at, at my, my local cafe, there's a new cafe, and they said, oh, yeah, we have a torta caprese, and I was like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
2: people who are gluten-free always love that because it's made with almond flour instead of regular white flour.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it feels like it almost feels a little bit lighter in the morning like if you know if you're a sweet tooth like me it's to me that's like the and I'm a chocolate freak it's like the light the light choice. I want to get back to Paestum because I think you know you mentioned the Greek the Greek temples um when I when I was when I was younger I I remember the first time I went to Pisum and I hugged those Doric temples. I was like like I'd never seen anything like it and and it was like my thing and and actually in my you know, I, with Darius, we love traveling and finding Greece and Rome, or not Greece and Rome, sorry, Greece and Italy, or in ancient Rome. And like, we, you know, in Sicily, we've been all over the su- southwestern coast, and I make my daughters hug these temples. Like, anytime you see a column, I'm like, you got to hug this column. You're never going to get this experience again. And they're like, please stop it. Let's talk a little bit about, about Pisum And then also, I know that you are an expert <laughs> in other amazing ancient sites as well. So I'd love to know a little bit more about that.
2: Pestum is such an amazing place because it's also an intensely local place. The people in Chilento, in Capaccio, Capaccio Capaccio-Pestum is like the combined commune technically. So it's really all one town. But they really feel that they are the descendants of that place. And I think when you come from another country, and especially the United States, where our history is much shorter than Italy's, uh, Talking to people who have this deep connection to a place adds such another dimension to it, and it, it feels intensely local. So, for example, the the security guards, I say that with air quotes because they're usually just a collection of, of older men who know everybody 's business and <laughs> give a lot of side eye to the tourists um, and feed the dogs that that oh, live yeah. on the ruins that are yeah, actually very well kept i I noticed uh, after you know going so frequently that oh the dogs had a bath and they 've been to the groomer <laughs> that didn 't always used to be the case in Italy, but it 's changed quite a bit. Um, they add a dimension to visiting a site like this if you fall into conversation with them and they don 't speak English, but sometimes you can people who don 't speak Italian can still wind up talking to them have a perspective on the place. It's a really amazing site. It sort of seems to rise up out of nowhere. My favorite thing to do with the temples of Pestum with our guests is to take them there during the day, book a tour guide, um, have a really interesting tour, see all the dimensions to it. So you have these three massive temples which are about 3,000 years old. The reason they survive is because the area was really marshy and they had actually sunk into the marsh and were covered by overgrowth. So this period of essentially destruction when the temples were abandoned allowed them to be physically preserved and then actually Mussolini literally drained the swamp <laughs> and the temples were you know brought brought to a new life there was also a Roman town right on the site as well which came a little bit later so you can walk along and you can see the mosaic floors of the Roman houses you can see Areas where there were pipes, essentially there are toilets on the temple grounds. There's the remains of an ancient swimming pool, which was used for training probably um, professional swimmers for athletic games. It's very sort of wild and romantic, I think, in the way that you think of ruins and that you can just sort of wander around. It's rarely crowded. You can actually walk right on the temples and yeah, hug one of those Doric columns. And... You can sort of learn or not learn as much as you want, but still have a beautiful experience. I love to do that. And then in the evening after we've gone to dinner to surprise the guests by driving by the temples at night because they're all lit up and they look like ancient spaceships just sitting there on the plane. Um, The area directly in front of the temples is only for pedestrians, so we'll usually stop and get off. And then you can walk around and have a gelato. And it's really just where the locals do a pasejata in the evening and hang out, and you know where you always see teenagers making out on a park bench, of course. And seeing those temples lit up at night just adds another dimension to them. I, I think it sort of enhances that sense of wonder that you have of seeing something ancient. And that's something I always want to give to guests, even if they're not specifically interested in history in the way that I am. The wonder that these things have survived for so long and that they are a testament to another time period, you can experience even just by appreciating how magnificent, how large they are, or how beautiful they might look as part of the environment. So that, that place is very special to me. And again, it, you know, my grandmother having assembled puzzle pieces out of the, the ruins that are in the ground, I feel it gives me a unique connection. And in the ancestry research that I've done, I, as far as I can go back is the early 1700s. After that, I hit a dead end. But I'm like, you know, maybe these are my ancestors, too. And I look at the painted tombs in the museum and I see some of those faces. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my hair. (laughs) This is truly, these are my ancestors.
1: That's pretty cool. Um, So that may, I mean, can we say that you're like Magna Grecia then?
2: Absolutely, yeah. And one thing I always try to explain to people when they're visiting southern Italy is that Italy as a whole, of course, is a series of, of, of kingdoms and papal states. And Florence, Venice, and Rome all have very unique histories. You know, Florence with the Etruscans and the Medici. Venice has its own unique history, its own language. But the most monolithic place in Italy really is the south from sort of Abruzzo down through Sicily because it was the kingdom of Sicily up to the unification of Italy. But prior, its roots were all Greek. Greek. And even for the Romans, they used to go to southern Italy because of the Greek culture, and the Greeks were notorious for knowing how to have a good time, for, you know, dancing and singing and having good food and a place where you can kind of go to let your hair down, as opposed to Rome, where society was more conservative and austere. And so it has a completely different energy. You have to think of it in a different context in Florence when it's Rome, but the Greek roots can't be underestimated. And I, I so often feel like the father from that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, because very often when you're explaining something, you're like, this was brought here by the Greeks. <laughs> and you just wind up saying it over and over again. But that heritage, despite it being, you know, three, four thousand years ago, is very, very present today.
1: I'm curious, what is the dialect the like in Capaccio? Is I'm it sorry, the what? Your, the, the dialect.
2: Oh, the dialect, dialecto. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a Neapolitan, essentially, but there are definitely some words that are distinct to the Chilento. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the further away, so Capaccio, where we are, is sort of the beginning, the westernmost part of Chilento. So there it's more proper Neapolitan. You know, people would always say, did you learn Italian growing up? I'm like, no, my grandparents spoke Neapolitan. Um, so f- one of my f- <laughs> frequently I'll, I'll hear somebody say, I'm a nudge. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I haven't heard that since my grandmother passed away. And then as you get deeper in, part of Chilento uh, borders Basilicata, Mm -hmm. and I I feel actually like the culture in the eastern part of Chilento has more in common with Basilicata than with the rest of Campania, then the dialect will change.
1: Fascinating.
2: You can really experience that... uh, in Naples and I this is something when I do when I take people to Naples I insist that they take this tour called the Naples Underground on one of the first days that they're there and I'm sure you must have been on that tour before it's really amazing so the underground of Naples is something that helps you sort of sort out the city. When you go to Naples, it's congested, it's crowded. You've got these giant pink palazzi that are peeling and falling apart, and there's 600 churches, and then there's ancient cobblestone streets, and it's, it's just hard to understand it all. If you go on the Naples Underground Tour, the first thing you do is you go down a very, very, very long staircase, and these underground areas were sort of officially excavated during World War II, and people were hiding from the bombardments. And if you go all the way to the bottom layer of the city, you are in a Greek cistern. And you understand that the foundations of Naples, coming from the word Neopoli, new city, which became Napoli, are Greek. And then you go up a little further and you are in a Roman amphitheater and you see all that thin, flat brickwork. So even for the novice, it's like, okay, here are the Greek cisterns, here's the Greek brickwork. And then you step up to the street and you realize that it's very much like the Roman city that's literally right below your feet. And then if you have a good guide who explains to you how Naples was in its glory during the 1700s, and that's when those 600 churches and all these giant pink palazzi were built, now you understand how to sort all of Campania. And you realize that what's underneath you is as resonant as, and important as what you're looking at with your eyes. And you become aware of all of that.
1: Well, it must be really fun walking around with you. I have a question. I have a question. Um, I want to know because it must be it must be really amazing walking around with you, actually, because I feel like you can bring to life a lot of things that are underground and and, and, and make the stories flow. But I also would like to know what it's like getting off the airplane. Like, what's the first thing you do when I have a ritual, not a ritual, but there are things that I have to have when I come back to Rome. Um, And I'm wondering for you what that's like when you're back in the Chilento, if there is like, okay, like. I got I to gotta go to this one place and get a cappuccino or there's this little thing I have to eat. So I'm curious for you what that is.
2: Yeah. So we usually, you know, fly in to Naples or we usually start out. Sometimes if we fly directly from New York to Rome, we'll just get on the train very quickly and get to Naples. So that, that's where the immersion begins. And I just love Naples so much. I feel like 10 times more alive there than I do anywhere else in the world. And uh, depending on what time of day you arrive. So first thing, a sfogliatella. Ah, which, yes. Even in the train stations in <laughs> Naples is good. But at the airport, in particular, the Naples airport is fairly new. I think it was built in the past five years. It's excellent. There is a bakery called Mocha, which is one of the historic pastry shops of Naples. They have a little outpost in the airport. So got to get that in the espresso. Cafe Kimbo, of course. Uh, <laughs> and then there's another Wait, do place. Just a I-
1: quick Quick question. Do they do the, the cafe? Is it, is it già zuccherato? No. Ah, interesting. Okay. No, you
2: can get that, but no, I don't, I don't usually, I just go for the standard.
1: Standard? Okay. Standard cafe in a sfogliatella.
2: Yep. Then you're in. Then, then you begin the immersion. But if I arrive in the evening, then there is another place that's in the Chiaia <laughs> in Naples, which is a little trattoria called Don Macarone husband and no, wife no no <laughs> yeah no it's it, but it's perfect and you know the service you're, you're there for like three hours for one plate of pasta <laughs> getting the check to leave is impossible because not because they're being rude but because they want you to relax but just a plate of the spaghetti with baby octopus or the um pasta fuzzle the pasta and beans some Fazooli, yeah, oh. Fazul in Neapolitan, you have to say. Okay, Pasta so.
1: fuzzle. yep, and, and with octopus,
2: baby octopus, oh, one of the my. two, depending. on Like where in a re- in a
1: in a red sauce. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like Moscardini? or
2: no? Just just this, Maybe, it's yeah. the simplest thing. Just a little tiny baby Ooh. octopus, tomato sauce. That's it, and it's so simple. It just tastes like home cooking. Then you're in. Then, then we can go out to fancy restaurants. We can have food that's made with tweezers and fine dining preparations, but you got to start with the fundamentals.
1: So that, those are your, those are your two go-to dishes. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Okay.
1: All right. That's good to know. That's really good to know. I'm going to put that on my list of things I have to eat when I'm back in Naples. Um, I'm really, really, I, I feel so excited to talk to you because aside from the fact that you've made me hungry, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to getting back down to the Chalento. One of the things I've never really done, though, is I've never explored the beaches. So that was the last question I wanted to ask you because you mentioned it a few times and I mentioned that, um, I mentioned Wonder Woman, <laughs> but you mentioned the the beaches are, uh, they're they're blue. That sounds really bad. The bandiera blue, which means they're, they're good water certified, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the what are some of the beaches names? I was. Did you say Palinuro? No.
2: Pa, yeah. Palinuro is sort of the southern edge. You're you're close to the border of of Calabria mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. So basically, s- starting from Pestum, I mean, you have beaches, of course, the Amalfi Coast, Salerno, all of that. But I would say like Pestum is where it begins. That beach is. You know, sandy beaches. There's actually pine forests right nearby. This is where actually a lot of Italians go on vacation. This is where a lot of Neapolitans will go just for the weekend. You can rent a little cabin. And then you have waves. Um, as you keep going further south along the coast, the water becomes more calm and um, more pristine and just less populated. Another place I really love a little further down is called Santa Maria Castellabate, and that's a really nice combination of a small town on the beach. There's a lot of British tourists that go there in the summer that rent a little house. But it's a really nice sandy beach, very, very calm water. And then if you keep going down the coast, it gets more ancient, more traditional. This is where you're going to see, you know, the many octogenarians sitting in the piazza. And Palinuro is probably the most beautiful beach. And it's famous for... Um, diving also so there are a lot of people that come especially from like Germany and the Netherlands specifically for diving there are a series of caves there where there are ancient Neolithic cave paintings and you can only access them as a scuba diver Uh, there there has been some trouble there with the waters they I think the diving might be prohibited right now while they work on some infrastructure stuff there actually used to be a club med in Palimuro and I'm not exactly sure why it closed but it's still sort of a resort area but at the same time just doesn't feel so touristy and there's a arch there and that's where wonder woman was filled, filmed as well as i think um clash of the titans
1: in the 70s or the 80s oh my God, that's that was my filmed favorite. there as well. oh now i'm gonna have to watch that again Ooh, yeah <laughs> well i'd love for you to share with everyone how we can find you your websites your twitter your instagram <laughs>
2: Yeah, Twitter and Instagram are both at Feast on History. Instagram is where I'll be sharing more about Chilendo. Twitter is where I go off on all various rants. <laughs> Our website is FeastOnHistory.com. And if you're going to come to New York and you want to come to Arthur Avenue, you just go to ArthurAvenueFoodTours.com. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Ciao, Bella. If you'd like to know more about today's guest, please visit ciaobella.co and click on the podcast link or go directly to ciaobella.co backslash podcast. Want more Italy? You can find all my episodes on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher. When you have time, subscribe to iTunes and rate the podcast. What are you waiting for? And if you want to be part of the podcast, email me or DM me your Italy questions. To learn more about me and my work, go to my website, ericafierpo.com, and follow my Italy adventures on Instagram at ericafierpo. Ciao Bella! And a very big thank you and hug to Massimiliano Yonta and Dis to Disc Studios, the producers of Ciao Bella who continue to make me sound and feel great.